Hey, good morning, everyone. My name is Austin. I get to be one of the pastors here at TLC. And uh, Happy New Year. Hey, thanks. Thanks, guys. I appreciate that. Hey, this morning is a, this is a family service. We got some kiddos hanging out with us this morning. So I thought I would start by sharing a family photo with you guys. But before I show it, I need to set it up. So uh, this picture that I'm about to show you was taken a little over eight years ago. All right. And my brother, I have a twin brother and I, we roomed together at college. We had just moved into our entirely too small of a dorm room. And we uh, were attending a like freshman orientation ceremony at uh, uh, Huntington University where we were ready to like spread our wings and fly. Right. And uh, we're at this ceremony. And after the ceremony, we're going to say like our final goodbyes to our parents. Right. And let's not be too dramatic. This was little over two hours away, okay? So not that far, but we were going to say goodbye to our parents, right? And uh, the ceremony ends. We're about to say goodbye, and my dad, who loves to take pictures, decides, no, 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 we should take one more picture together. And uh, obviously, it's an emotion-filled uh, time, and so we take a family picture, and this was the result. I'm going to show it to you guys. Uh, you can see that. Um, and uh, you can't see... Uh, I'm going to zoom in on my mom's face. You can't see it very well, uh, but my mom has like tears in her eyes as we're taking this picture. That's, that's a zoomed in photo. <laughs> we don't have to stay on that too long. She'll be mad at me. So can we go back to the, there we go. Uh, that, I love that picture. That's like a famous picture in our family. Just we give my dad a hard time all the time because he was like, but he was like, Angie, come on, come on. We should take a picture. My mom's like bawling her eyes out. She's like, I do not want to take a picture right now, right? Uh, so I love that picture for so many reasons. First is obvious. It's hilarious. But I also love it, and the reason I show it this morning is I think it captures something really uh, important, really profound. I think it captures the distance between beginnings and endings. You see, when there's a beginning, that usually means something has just ended. And when something ends, there's always a beginning coming right after it. You see, beginning and endings are so closely tied. And I think this picture also captures our attitude towards the two, beginning and, beginnings and endings. You see my face? That's like the face of our attitude towards the beginnings, right? Full of hope and excitement. Look at that faux hawk and that smile. Like, I'm ready to go, man. I'm starting the beginning. And then our attitude towards endings, when we think of endings, we're often filled with sadness or uncertainty, like my mom's face, right? And I think this is true in a lot of life. In fact, I think it's the case when we even think of people. We think of uh, the life, of the story of a man named Moses, who appears in several of the first books of the Bible. Moses, the beginning of Moses' life is so popular. It's, it's so e extravagant. It's fantastic, right? Like he's saved as an infant, and then he lives this luxurious Egyptian lifestyle, and then he leads the Israelites out of slavery across the Red Sea. He's going to lead them to the promised land. The beginning of Moses' life is powerful. It, many people are attracted to it. It's full of hope and excitement. But the end of Moses' life is not so popular. When many of us think of the end of Moses' life, we're uncertain. Maybe we're sad. Or maybe you've never read the end of Moses' life. We're going to read it this morning. You're going to be like, That's, that seems a little, a little sad. You see, Moses had led the Israelites out of slavery and, and was leading them into the promised land, wandered around for 40 years trying to get into the promised land. And then towards the end of his life, involving an incident with a rock and some water, Moses disobeyed God. And God told Moses that he would not be able to enter into the promised land. And sometime later, all the way at the end of Moses' life, the end of the book of Deuteronomy, we pick up uh, this morning. And so I'd love if you would follow along with me as we read Deuteronomy chapter 34. This is the very end of Deuteronomy. We're going to read the first 
uh, eight verses, and this is the end of sort of the first section of the Bible. The first five books of the Bible are kind of their own section, and what will happen next week is a new beginning in the book of Joshua. But this morning we read the end of the life of Moses here in chapter 34 of Deuteronomy. Follow along, it says this, Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land, from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev, and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zor. Then the Lord said to him, said to Moses, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over onto it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died. Yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days, until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Not the ending you would expect for a guy like Moses, right? When I read the end of Moses' life, it's a hard one for me to read. God says to Moses, look at the land. He shows him this land, and then he says, you will not cross over onto it. And that's a hard sentence to read, if you're like me at least. I mean, first, it seems unfair. Like Moses doesn't get to experience this thing that he's been working so hard and long for. That seems unfair. And on a more like profound level, I think that for many of us, including myself, it brings up a scary possibility that I, that we could work hard and serve long toward a goal or a dream. And God might say to us, you can look, but you can't go in. You can long for it, but someone else is going to take it across the finish line. And you're like, dang, Austin, this is the new year. We're supposed to be full of hope and excitement. What are we doing here this morning? Well, here's the thing. I think that the end of Moses' life reveals some beautiful things that can help carry us into the new year and really help direct our year. Some powerful things that I want to share with you this morning. And I want to actually work backwards from the, pa- the passage that we just read. So that passage, I want to start with the death of Moses, which is like the end of what we just read. Then I want to uh, talk about the moments leading up to his death, his life in the moments leading up to his death. And then I want to close this morning by looking at the first verse, the details on the location of where all this took place. You with me? Thumbs up if you're with me. All right, let's do it. All right, so let's start with Moses' death. Welcome to church this morning. All right, Moses' death. It says in verse 7 that Moses was 120 years old when he died. But if you notice, it says that he climbed on to the top of Mount Nebo. So Moses is like, he's not a young buck, okay? But he did climb to the top of a mountain and it says that his eyes were undimmed, his strength was not gone. That detail's in there to make, to make sure that we know Moses didn't just die of old age. Moses didn't climb to the top of a mountain and just like die from being too old. In fact, in verse five, we're, we're given the details of really like a mysterious death. In verse 5, it says that, that Moses died as the Lord had said. It says Moses died as the Lord had said. And scholars point out that's a really unusual way of describing the death of someone. 
You see, the way that it's written in the original language, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't suggest that Moses died just like God said. God said Moses was going to die, and Moses died. No, instead, when, it's, when it says Moses died as the Lord had said, what's being suggested is that there's some sort of activity from God in Moses' death, and there's some sort of obedience from Moses involved in this death. Moses died as the Lord had said. It's mysterious. We don't really know how Moses died, but we know he died as the Lord had said. And then just after that, even more mysterious, it says he buried Moses, referring to God, referring to Yahweh, like God buried Moses. So this whole thing is very mysterious. We don't know exactly how Moses died. We don't know where he was buried. We don't know if this was God actively taking Moses' life, or maybe this was Moses... Uh, obeying a command that had been given seven times before this to Moses to go up onto this mountain and to die. We don't know exactly the nature of his death. We don't know where he was buried, but we do know this. We do know this. Moses lived and breathed by the will of God. He tried. He didn't always succeed, but he tried to live in complete surrender and obedience. He lived and breathed by the will of God. When God said to die, Moses' obedience to God didn't just involve his life. It involved even his death. It involved even his death. Moses lived and breathed by the will of God, and his death reveals that. So the first thing I want to say is, in this new year, I hope that we can be people who live and breathe by the will of God, like Moses, in complete surrender and obedience. We won't succeed all the time. Neither did Moses. But we will be people who strive to live in complete surrender and obedience and live and breathe by the will of God. All right, that's the death of Moses. That's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the hard part. That's the worst part. All right, we're going to move on to the life in the moments leading up to Moses' death because some things happen that are really interesting. God shows Moses all the land, right? It's like three sentences of details of all the different spots that God's showing Moses. And what God, God is showing him, God is showing Moses the entire promised land, the whole thing. It's a distance of like over 200 miles, God tells Moses to look at. And then that, that phrase that's so hard for us to read, right? He says, you can see it, but you will not cross over onto it. And you're like, gosh, like why did God do that? Why did God say that? Why did God bring Moses up to let him look at this thing and then say, you're not crossing over onto it? Like, what's going on here? So the command from God to Moses to view the land is a very specific command. It's given uh, in several times leading up to this passage. It's implied here. And this command that God gives Moses to view the land suggested a legal code. In the ancient Near East, this command to view the land Uh, suggested this legal process where a a man viewed what he was to possess. So when God commands Moses to view this land, it's in some ways God is giving Moses a gift and saying that this is the land that the people that you represent are going to possess. God's saying that Moses, the Israelites, this land, this is going to be theirs. They will possess this, which is a gift from God to Moses, right? But if you're like me, you're like, but he still doesn't cross over into the promised land. Like he, he gets to see it and he gets assurance that, that his people will obtain this gift, but he doesn't cross over onto it, which is hard, which is surprising. But what's more surprising, what's more surprising than Moses not actually getting to enter into the promised land is this. 
Moses doesn't argue with God or try and convince God to allow him to cross over into the promised land. Here's what I mean. You can read this thing, this passage backwards and forwards. You can read it side to side, left to right, right to left. You can read it KJV, ESV, NIV, NRSV, message, whatever you want. You will find no indication of an inner or an outer struggle from Moses. Moses, who was notorious for arguing with God. No one argued with God more in the entire Bible than Moses. Moses was notorious for arguing with God, trying to convince God, and had succeeded at times, it seems, to change God's mind. God, or Moses constantly was arguing and debating with God, but in this moment, nothing. No trying to convince God to, to let him live for a little bit longer and cross in. No, he just dies. There's no last-minute words given. There's no last-minute appeal. There's no twist at the end where Moses gets dropped into the middle of the promised land. He just dies. And if you read this passage enough, you read it over and over again, you begin to wonder, you read the life of Moses leading up to this, and you begin to wonder, is the land even what Moses wants anymore? So there's a, a Disney movie called Onward. Anybody seen Onward? All right, if you haven't seen Onward and you really want to, for some reason in the last three years you just haven't gotten around to it, uh, I'm going to have some spoilers for you. All right, so close your, close your ears for the next two minutes, all right? So there's this movie Onward. It's a great movie, great animation, all that good stuff. And uh, the movie follows the journey uh, of a young boy named Ian. Ian is the one on the right. And uh, Ian, yeah, the right, my right, uh, he, he uh, lost his father at a very early age. And he spent most of his life looking for, searching for, longing for his father. For him to know his father, for his father to know him. And so him and his older brother, the one on the left, they cast a spell. Because the whole thing takes place, I mean, look at them. Okay, so, the whole, so they cast a spell, all right, and, uh, and they, to bring their father back for a day. So that they can just see their dad, their dad can see them, all that stuff. And it works, kind of. They get the bottom half of their dad. So uh, not the part that they need, right? <laughs> like the, to be able to talk and see their dad and all that stuff. And so the movie follows their journey in trying to fix the spell, to bring back the second half of their dad. And at the end of the movie, spoiler part, here we go. At the end of the movie, Ian has this incredible moment where he realizes that the thing that he was chasing for, the thing that he was longing for, the thing that he was searching for, had been there the whole time in his relationship with his brother. His brother had fulfilled this father figure, and Ian had, has this beautiful moment of realization and gratitude of the way that his brother has filled the role of his dad in his dad's absence. And there's this cool part at the end where he's actually given the chance to see and to hug his dad, but he passes on that opportunity to give his older brother the chance to see and to hug his dad, content with the father figure that his brother has provided him. And the whole story kind of reminds me of Moses. Not because Moses walked around casting a spell on his dad or anything like that, but because Moses, I think similar to Ian, Spent his whole life longing for and searching for something, the promised land. I think only in certain moments to realize that what he was really searching for was there the whole time. The last moments of Moses' life aren't spent full of struggle, aren't spent wrestling with God. They're spent peacefully 
without struggle. And as you read this more and more, you begin to wonder if it's because for Moses, the promised land wasn't even about the land anymore. The promised land was the presence of God. Time and time again, Moses had moments of letting go, of finding God, and realizing that what he was really after, what he needed, wasn't a land, it was the promise of the presence of God. You see, what if for Moses, the promised land was the presence of God? Bruce Feiler says it best. He's an author, writer. He says this. Uh, we got a quote uh, that will show, and I need the quote because I'm going to read it uh, from the back screen here. It says, Moses may not get the land, but he gets the promise. The land alone is not the destination. The destination is the place where human beings live in consort with the divine. The divine. Ultimately, it doesn't matter whether or not what the Bible describes is impossible to see. It doesn't matter because Moses wasn't seen as we do. At the end, he wasn't even looking at the land. He was looking where we should look. He was looking at God. The last moments of his life, Moses finds himself without a responsibility, without a role, without a struggle to define him. One more time at peace in the presence of God, the thing that had become most important to him. And in this new year, I hope that we can be people who, like Moses, find their peace in the presence of God. People who don't need a role or a responsibility to define them, but people whose promised land, the thing that we're chasing after, is the presence of God. And can I just say something this morning? I realized we were, we were out praying with our volunteers, and Torrin said something that made me, made me realize, I think some of us need to hear something this morning. God wants to be in your presence. I think some of us confuse ourselves and we think, well, even if I wanted to be in the presence of God, even if I wanted to have a relationship with God, I don't know if God would even want that from me. And I'm here to tell you this morning that God wants a relationship with you, that God wants to be in your presence. That is, your, that is the thing that God wants most for you, to find yourself in his presence. I think Moses, in the life, in the moments leading up to his death, reveals that. And that's one of the hopes that I have for us in this new year. All right, the last thing. Last thing. The very first verse of this passage gives us some details on the location of where all of this took place. So the first verse says that it, this all took place on Mount Nebo. And Mount Nebo is just another name for uh, a place sometimes referred to as Mount Sinai. All right? So Mount Nebo and Mount Sinai, they're interchangeable, just called different things, but it's the same mountaintop. And this mountaintop or this mountain range uh, is like 2,600 feet above sea level. All right? It's pretty high. And it says Moses was on the peak, uh, Mount Pisgah. Right? He was at the peak. And so all that to say Moses is really high up. But that's not why this location matters. No, this location matters because Mount Nebo, or Mount Sinai, was kind of like Moses and God's thing. It was kind of their spot. So uh, my wife, Olivia, she'll be here at the 11. She's not here. Uh, but her and I, uh, we 
worked together in the summers at this place called Beulah Beach. It's in Vermilion, Ohio. It's on Lake Erie. This is a picture of Beulah Beach. Beautiful sunsets. Uh, the water's brown, but that's all right. Uh, and <laughs> no, I love Beulah Beach. It's a beautiful place. I'll be there in a few weeks uh, teaching at a retreat. It's still a special place for us. But uh, Olivia and I worked at Beulah Beach, and this place is kind of like our spot. It's kind of like our thing. You see, at Beulah Beach, that's where I first told Olivia how I felt about her. At Beulah Beach, that's the first time that I asked her to go on a date with me. At Beulah Beach, that's the first time that we told each other that we loved one another. And this was all, by the way, spread out like a year and a half, two-year span, all right? Some parents are like, what is he teaching my child right now, okay? This was spread out. But when I think about the beginning portions of Olivia and I's dating relationship, I think of Beulah Beach. It's kind of our spot. It's kind of our thing. And when we're back there, all these different memories come flooding in kind of our spot. It's kind of our thing. And that's what Mount Nebo was for God and for Moses. It was kind of their spot. It was kind of their thing. You see, in the book of Exodus alone, Moses has eight crucial moments with God on this mountaintop, on Mount Nebo. God, or Moses receives his call from God on Mount, on this mountaintop, Mount Nebo. Moses receives the covenant and makes a covenant on behalf of Israel with God on this mountaintop. Moses receives the Ten Commandments from God on this mountaintop. God declares his name for the first time and his glory to Moses on this mountaintop. You see, this mountaintop was kind of their spot. It was kind of their thing, Mount Nebo. And in the final moments of Moses' life, he finds himself one more time in the presence of God on this mountaintop, Mount Nebo. Because location matters for God. The biblical authors time and time again go at great length to give detail on the location for where God shows up. And as I was preparing for the message this week and thinking about the new year, I, I came to a realization I think how, uh, of how important I think that it is for each of us to have a mountaintop. For each of us to have a place and a space where God can show up consistently and and we can engage with God through scripture and through prayer and through listening and we can just hang out in the presence of God and share in the joys of life and in the hardships of life and God can reveal more and more of his presence and more and more of his identity. And so this morning I want to ask you, where is your mountaintop? We all love little challenges and resolutions and things at the beginning of the year. So here's, here's yours from, from church. Find your mountaintop. The place, the space in your bedroom, your apartment, your dorm, your house, wherever you spend most of your time, the place that you can set aside at a certain time of day, whatever it is, to meet with God, to engage with God through scripture, through prayer, through listening, and allow God to reveal more and more of God's presence and more and more of God's identity. Where is your mountaintop? Here's mine. Maybe. We've got a picture. There it is. This is, uh, this, is in our, this is in Olivia and I's house, uh, and this is like, this is my place. This is my, this is my spot. This is my mountaintop. Every morning, or most mornings, good mornings, I come down, I walk downstairs, I pour a shot of espresso, because I'm hardcore, and, uh, and, <laughs> and, I walk, and I walk over to that spot on the bench by that bright yellow pillow, and I sit right there. And I spend the first 15 or 20 minutes of my day engaging with God through scripture, through prayer, through listening, 
I celebrate the joys of life. I, I, I work through the hardships of life. And time and time again, God meets me, reveals more of God's identity and more of God's presence in that place, in that space, on that mountaintop. In that little house in the north side of Grand Rapids, in the little bohemian adventure land that my wife Olivia has created. <laughs> That's my mountaintop. This morning, I want to ask you, where is your mountaintop? You see, in this new year, I hope that we can be people who have a place and a space for God to show up. For, God, for us to engage with God through scripture, through prayer, through listening, and allow God to reveal more of his presence and more of his identity. And if you're like, what's the big deal? What's the deal about having a space? Who cares? Here's, here's the deal. Having a physical space sets the tone for the rest of of your day, the rest of your life. If you have a physical space that you meet with God, guess what? You're gonna have space in your heart. You're gonna have space in your life to engage with God, to live with God, to experience God's presence and God's power on a daily, hourly, minutely, if that's a word, basis. And so in this new year, I hope and I pray that we can be a church who's full of mountaintops, places that we meet with God and we engage with God. We experience God. The book of Deuteronomy concludes, we didn't read it, but there's a, a last few verses. And it concludes by saying that, there, that Israel has never again seen a prophet like Moses. All of the incredible, powerful works that God knew Moses face to face, it says. And the next time that we see Moses is in the book of Matthew. On a mountaintop. Jesus is met by two men, Elijah and Moses. You see, once again, Moses was someone that God trusted with what was most precious to him. Friends, we are like Moses. Broken, incomplete people being used for some crazy reason as God's vehicle for redemption in the world. And in this new year, I hope that we can be like Moses, people who live and breathe by the will of God. People whose promised land, the thing that we're chasing after is the very presence of God and people who have a space and a place, a mountaintop to engage with that God. Gracious, merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness now in 2022 and forevermore. Will you pray with me? God, as we end one year and begin a new year, we want to thank you for your servant Moses. The beginning of his life, the middle of his life, the end of his life, and the beautiful things that your scriptures reveal to us this morning and the way that they direct us into a new year. God, would you give us the strength, the courage, the discipline, the patience to be people who live and breathe by your will, to be people who are chasing after the presence, the promise of your presence more than anything else, and to be people who carve out a space physically and even in our hearts and in our lives to experience your power and your presence, God. We're asking for more of you in this new year, knowing that, that you want to fulfill all of our uh, desires and our, our needs for you. So we ask that you would just do that this morning. Jesus, it's in your name that we, that we gather this morning. It's in your name that we pray. It's in you that we have all of our hope and all of our life. 
to you be the power, the kingdom, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.